Man, I'm stoked to jump into the Word today. For those of you that are just joining us in a series, we're in part four of a series called Miracles, and we're taking the Gospel of John, which is one of four records of Jesus' ministry, of his life on earth, his, his death, burial, resurrection. Uh, John is just one of those accounts, and we're taking all the signs and the miracles that are recorded in John's Gospel, and we're just doing a deep dive and studying them verse by verse, because they actually reveal something about the character of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, and they're a sign for us as well that there is a message in every miracle. We're finding out um, every one of them is different. Every one of them is unique. So we're excited. We're in uh, part four. So today, as we were like looking towards, and I've been preparing all these miracles and, and studying for this series for a while, but as I was looking ahead to this week, um, can I just be very honest with you guys? I wasn't looking forward to teaching this one just because of the familiarity of the concept, of the story. It's, it's, it's the story you're familiar with, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. The reason why I was like not looking forward to it is because I know that the greatest enemy of your faith is the familiar. And so there's some things that I believe that are in here that are for you that God wants to reveal to you, but because you're so familiar with it, it's easy for you to miss it. And so there is, and I believe there's some truth inside of here I'm going to share today that I want you to receive. I love the Word of God. How many of you love the Word of God? It is powerful. It's, it's living. It's, it's, it's active. I was talking to someone, and they, they say, yeah, the, the Bible, you know, the Bible is basic instruction before leaving earth, and they did the whole B-I-B-L-E thing, which is cute. It's an acrostic and all, but the more that I read the Bible, it's more than just an instruction manual. The Bible, like the more I read the Bible, the more the Bible reads me. And so, and so can I just encourage you today to approach maybe a familiar topic of feeding the 5,000. So many, you've probably heard this, some of you in Sunday school, others of you maybe you're not even familiar with church, but you're familiar with this story like, yeah, Jesus fed a whole bunch of people, loaves and fishes kind of thing. And your familiarity can hinder you from receiving with fresh ears and a fresh heart today. So could, today, can you approach the Word of God with a fresh, with a fresh uh, heart so that God can speak to you in a new way today? Amen, somebody? Can you do that? All right, all right. So if we got that on the same page, let's jump into this thing. In John chapter 6 is where we find the fourth miracle in the Gospel of John. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him, and check this out, it says they followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick, which is like, so at this point of Jesus' ministry, people were following, following him for what he could do for them, not for who he was, right? So they're following him because of what, they, what he was doing, not for who he was, which is always the first stage of following Jesus. The first stage of following Jesus is what, he, what can he do for me? But you progress with Jesus long enough, you'll stop asking the question, what can he do for me? And you'll start asking the question, what can he do through me? So this is an important um, distinction here in John's gospel. I think it's why John brings it up, that why people were following him. Because the fourth miracle in John's gospel, it records kind of a shift in Jesus' ministry. That up to this point, all the ministry and miracles that Jesus has been doing, he's been kind of the the... The, the star of the show. He's been the one performing it. And the disciples have been spectators to the miraculous that Jesus was doing. It's at this point, though, that, that his mentorship in the life of the disciples starts to shift where he starts to include them 
in the process of the miraculous. And I just want you to see it like, like now we're at this stage of walking with Jesus that he wants his disciples not to just follow him for what the miracles and signs that he's doing, but he wants them to shift in their maturity and he wants to start doing things through them. You just got to see that in the context of the story. Next verse, verse three. It says, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near, verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming to him. He said to Philip, and I don't know why he's picking on Philip right here, but he picked Philip out and he, he asked Philip, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? And actually the next verse tells us that Jesus asked him this question only to test him. So he was like, which is a little bit messed up, right? Something like, man, that's messed up. Why is he testing? But here's the deal. God, God will test you. Do you know that? God will test you. I don't know if you understand that or if you like that about him, but honestly, it's all irrelevant because that's the way God, and listen, God tests you not to grade you. He tests you to grow you. He's not going to flunk you. He's not going to kick you out of school. Any test that you fail, he's just, it's just going to come around again for you to take. So he's test, and it's always at this stage of when God wants to mature you and grow you and start working through you. The disciples are at a stage now where he wants to start using them, therefore he has to test them. So whenever you're going through a test in your life, just know you're on the precipice for God doing something through you. That's what he's doing. He's going, okay, I'm ready now to shift my mentorship. I need to do something through, so I need to test them. So he, te he asked him a question just to test him. And it says he already had in mind what he was going to do. Can I tell you, for that problem that you got yourself into before you ever got yourself into it, God already had in mind how he was going to get you out of it? Like he already had in mind the solution and how he was going to get you out of the problem or the situation that you found yourself in. Verse 7 says this. Philip answered him, uh, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person just to get a crumb just to get a bite. So six months to feed these 5,000 men. And these 5,000 men, some of them brought their wives and they got their crumb snatching children out here. I saw them running around, these kids. How are we gonna feed all these people, Jesus? So he's seeing the problem. Verse eight says this. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up and he finds this little boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But he says, how far will this go among so many people? So Jesus says, okay, we'll have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. So there was, there was a whole, there was a big field. So plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. <clears throat> That's not included women and children. A lot of scholars believe there could be up to 15,000 people that were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks. Can you be thankful over a little bit? Can you be grateful over what you, what looks like not enough. Because this is, look, if you want to see God do the miraculous in your life, gratitude is the environment for greater things. Remember the greater things that Jesus promised in John chapter 14, after all the signs and wonders he showed the disciples, he said, if you have faith in me, you will do even greater things than these that I do, because I'm going to be with the Father. Gratitude is an essential ingredient to seeing greater things. Can you be grateful for what looks like is not enough. And look, it's, it's not. It's not enough. And the Bible says in the previous verse there was plenty of grass, but Jesus, we don't need grass. We need grub. It's not enough. You ever been in a situation where you had more of something that you didn't need and not what you asked for? 
They're like, oh, this, isn't, this isn't enough. So Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks over what was not enough and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had what? Enough. So he took what was not enough and he made it enough to eat. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. And this is just a characteristic about God. You just need to know. You got to understand this about God's personality. He never wastes a thing. He says, let nothing be wasted. Nothing is ever wasted with God. There is no experience that is ever wasted. No pain ever wasted. No hurt ever wasted. There is no dream ever wasted. Nothing is, not even a breadcrumb is wasted with God. He wastes nothing. You thought you were a miser. You know what I mean? God is, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So he's, nothing is wasted with God. Next verse. It says, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. So 12 was the number of disciples. Each one of them carried a basket with them, with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, capital P there, this is the Messiah. They're like, they're, they're piecing it together because there's actually prophetic, like messianic prophecies in Isaiah that says that the Messiah would prepare a banquet before God's people, and like a shepherd, he would feed the Israelite like a flock. And so they're like, wait a second, this is, he, he just created something from nothing. This guy has manifestational creative powers. Only God has that. And they're putting it together like this is the Messiah, the prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intend to come make him king by force, because that's, it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time to be king. He withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the, the, all these, the crowd is full. They're full. Their bellies are full. The disciples are carrying baskets full. Um, and this miracle does. It shows the compassion of Jesus for even the hunger needs of people. It reveals the kingdom of God that has come. The Messiah is here. But they're missing still. Like the, the crowd did not catch what Jesus, the message in the middle of the miracle. Even the disciples, they did not catch what Jesus was really trying to teach through this miracle of the loaves and the fishes. In fact, I want to borrow a little bit of Mark's gospel in this teaching today because it kind of gives a different perspective and kind of reveals a few other things. Look what Mark says in Mark chapter 6. Right after, um, so right after this miracle, Jesus actually goes with his disciples. The disciples go onto the sea, and there's this, it's actually next week we're going to study the calming of the sea where Jesus speaks to the storm. It's a miracle we're going to study next week. But right after that, it says he came over to them, got into the boat, and the wind stopped. And his disciples were very much surprised and wondered about it. Look what it says in the next verse. They had not learned what they should have learned from the loaves because their hearts were hard. So there was something, there was a lesson in the loaves that they should have learned, that they actually needed to learn, so that when the next trial came and the next storm came, they would handle it the way that God wanted them to handle it, and they didn't catch it. There was a lesson in the loaves that, that they needed to learn to prepare them for the next stage of their life, the next season of their life, the next challenge that God was bringing. So it begs the question then, what was the lesson that we were supposed to learn? Because it wasn't just about feeding people and God being a provider. It was deeper than that. There's a deeper message and lesson in the middle of this miracle that Jesus said they missed it. They missed it, and therefore they didn't handle the next trial the way that they should have. 
okay? How many times do we miss the lessons that God is trying to teach us in the middle of the problems and challenges, and, and we just go, bre- we breeze past them, man, and we miss the very thing that we were needed, the experience and maturity that was needed to get us through the next challenge. Okay, so let's not miss it. What is the lesson of the loaves? We're going to learn that today, the lesson that Jesus intended us to learn from the loaves. And also, I think that this is a good model for the, what I'm calling the four steps to a miracle, because if you want God to start including you and doing through you, and you're part of the process of God doing the miraculous, he shows us how he did that with the disciples, and there are four steps that you can see God do a miracle in your life. Does that sound good? Amen? Okay, so let's first start off with the lessons of the loaves. What are the lessons in the loaves? Here's the first one. The first lesson is this. Don't measure your problems according to your ability. Measure them according to God's ability. Because when you look at what you have, sometimes it's not enough. You ever, you, ever get in the, you ever look at your bank account and you think, that ain't enough. You ever have that time? You ever look at your day or your time or your calendar and you, you think, there's just not enough. There's just not enough time. I like this author, Brene Brown. How many of you know Brene Brown? She's an amazing author. She says this, the mantra of our day is never enough. She says, we live in an age of never enough. And I think she's right, because no matter how much information there seems to be put into the world, we're always getting more ignorance and less wisdom out of it. So she says, often we wake up in the morning, and our first thought is, I didn't get enough sleep. We go to bed at night, and we think, I didn't get enough done. We earn a lot of money, but we don't have enough opportunity to enjoy it, or we have opportunity to enjoy our lives but we don't have enough money to get out of the house it's never enough and God is saying I want you to realize with my spirit within you and the power of my word on your lips in Christ who is enough in Christ who before all things existed and through all things is now the word made flesh to dwell among us in Christ it is never not enough In Christ, you are never not enough. Say it with me. Never not enough. I don't know what you have just not enough of today. I don't know if you just have a little bit of bread in your cupboard, but if if you put your little bit in the hands of the master, it's never not enough. If you maybe you just got a little bit of oil, you got a little bit of oil, find yourself some neighbors with some jars. Find, Find yourself something for God to fill, and I'm telling you, it's never not enough. I feel some faith rising up in here. I don't know if it's just me, but faith is rising up in this atmosphere. Somebody push your neighbor and tell them, it's never not enough. Come on, tell them it's never not enough. See, I thought I thought scarcity was a situation, but I found out it's more a sensation. Some of you have a scarcity mindset because it's, you're always, it's never not enough. It's never not enough. So let, me, let me explain that. I found out that there, there, there can be never enough money to make you feel like you have enough until God becomes enough for you, it will never be enough. See, scarcity is not just a situation, it's your feeling. Some of you feel like, because I thought that if you got enough compliments, it would, if you got enough compliments, it'd make you feel confident. But if Christ is not the cornerstone of your character and your identity, there's no amount of compliments that can compensate for what Christ should have gave you. But, but if I know who I am in Christ and who I am and who he says I am, there is no amount of lack that this world has can shake me from the confidence I have in Christ. Which 
goes to the next lesson. The next lesson is this, that you're not enough, you're a little bit, that's not enough, that not enough that you have, you're little in the hands of Jesus can't become much. You're little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. Jesus is testing Philip here, <laughs> and Philip, listen, Philip thinks he was given a math test, but he was actually given a faith test. Are you hearing me, you guys? Philip, the CPA anointing on Philip is about to mess up the miracle. Because you can are you going to get this from reasoning or from a revelation? So we're, we're trying, here's Philip using math. He thought it was a math test, and this never was supposed to be a math test. It was a faith test, so he's using Earth's equation instead of the formula of faith, and you're not going to get the right product. Because when God tests your faith, he's never testing your intellect. He's never testing your strength. He's always testing your faith. He wants to grow your faith. Philip wasn't wrong with his equation. He was actually correct. It was just incomplete. He just failed to account for the greatest resource they had, that Jesus was sitting right there. See, his figures were right, but his faith was wrong. He was using the wrong formula. Because I'm telling you, basic math will mess up your miracle. You cannot use Earth's equation when God is testing you. You cannot use your reasoning, your strength, or your intellect when God tests you, that's not the outcome he's looking for, something you can produce from this world. It's not from Earth's equation. It needs to be a formula of faith. So what, the question is, what's the formula of faith? What's the lesson? I'm telling you, the lesson of the loaves. You want to know what the formula of faith is? You want to know what God is testing you, what formula you need to be using? Let me show it to you. Here it is. It's Jesus plus not enough. Okay, carry the one, and that equals more than enough. It's always more then enough, but you got to remember to carry the one. So the next time you're in your stress and you're frustrated or you're, you're doubting or you're wondering about your future, just ask yourself, oh, wait a second, did I remember to carry the one? The next time your spouse is like afraid or they're, they're anxious about something, and just, just ask, ask her, ask him, oh, oh, I get, I get that that's, a, but did you carry the one? Because when you carry the one, oh, come on, somebody. When you carry the one, Jesus plus not enough is always more than enough. And this is what God does. This is a pattern that we see all throughout Scripture. God loves taking that which is not enough and making it more than enough all throughout the Bible. So you see it in Gideon's life where Gideon takes 15,000 soldiers and he's going to go against the Midianites, which is an army that could defeat the Midianites. And God goes, that's too much. I need you to go down to 300 people because I want to take your not enough and do more than enough. And he defeats the Midianites with just 300. Or take David, when he's standing off against Goliath, God sidelines all of Israel's army so that he can take a ruddy boy and three stones, which was not enough, and do more than enough. This is God's, I'm telling you, this is a pattern all throughout the scripture that we see when God wants to do something in your life, you know what he often does? Let me give you the four things he does real quick. The four things God does when he wants to do something in your life is this. He starts with, he reduces our resources, which is counterintuitive, right? Because if God wanted to do something in my life, wouldn't you think he'd give me more resources? God, wouldn't you give me more money if you want me to do something? God, wouldn't you give me more time, more energy? Would you give me like, would you make me like Superman that I could do it, God? I could just conquer it. Like, no, when God wants to do something in your life, he reduces your resources. That which you are relying on, he causes it to fail you. 
He causes it to fail you. Whatever you're relying on, he wants to reduce. I'm just saying this is a pattern. You got to, and you knowing it, maybe can help you respond in faith to it. So God will reduce, when he wants to work in your life, he'll reduce your resources and then he'll magnify your need. So that gap that exists between you and what you need is just like it's amplified and magnified. Like, oh my gosh, it's not enough. You absolutely are certain it's not enough. Here's what you need to know about this stage of what God is doing in your life and what he wants to do. This is a test. When you see this happening, when your resources are limited and the need is magnified, this is a test of your faith. Here's what it's testing, the third step, because this is what happens when you see God move. You need to get to this third step, which is this. Someone with faith trusts God with the little that they have. Whether that's a, that's a, a, a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, a little bit of oil, a little stone, whatever little bit, somebody has the audacity to trust God with the little bit that they have, and then God uses the little we have to show how great he is. That's, God loves doing this. Wouldn't you, I'm just telling you guys, he doesn't discard what we have to do something better. He uses what we give him to do something greater. So this boy, this little boy comes up to him and says, here's five loaves and two fish. It wasn't like Jesus was all, oh, that's cute, kid. <laughs> that's cute. And th he throws it over his shoulder and was like, yeah, let me just show you what Jesus, I, Jesus, can do and do a miracle. No, he uses what the little that he was given, and he produces the miracle through the little that wasn't enough. He made it more than enough. That's how God, that's how God wants to use you. He makes that which is not enough more than enough. So what are the four steps that we see? If you want, want God to work through you and to see a miracle happen in your life. What are the four steps that Jesus did with his disciples to produce the miraculous? All right, here it is. Number one, you got to start here. Identify the problem. And the problem here in this situation is very obvious. There's a large crowd. It's a remote lo location. There's nothing to eat. There's like anywhere from 5,000 to 15,000 people in the middle of the desert. desert. There's, there's no McDonald's, so this is a big issue, right? What are you gonna do? Here's the point. Every miracle begins with a problem. Every miracle begins. And, and you have to identify the problem. But check this out. The, if the disciples, if they had sent the crowds away, which, which is what they wanted them to do, if they had sent the crowd away, they would not have seen the miracle. And not only that, they would not only not see the miracle, but they wouldn't have had anything to eat themselves. You know how I know that? Because ain't nobody brought the lunch but the little boy. Peter didn't think to bring a sack lunch. No one did. It was just, so why, why do I bring, bring that up? Because the very provision was hidden in the inconvenience. Are you seeing that, you guys? So it was what they wanted to go away that was carrying what they needed. It's no coincidence that the disciples all walked away carrying the miraculous in a barrel themselves. So stop looking at your problem like a problem because that problem is carrying your provision. It's a test. Are you seeing that, you guys? That problem is actually what you want to go away, what you're trying to pray away, is carrying the provision of God inside the problem. Then what do you do with the problem? If you want to see Jesus do a miracle, you identify the problem, and then you got to accept 
the responsibility. Now, wait a second, Pastor, because I thought Jesus was going to do the miracle. What's the point of me accepting? Here, God wants you to get concerned about the situation before he does anything about it. Before he said, because Mark records something important here. Mark chapter 6. Let's look at it in Mark's gospel. He says, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples, oh, look at this. His disciples came to him. So, important question. Who noticed the need first? Who noticed the, obviously Jesus, right? Jesus knew what he was going to do before he ever did it. He knew he's Alpha Omega. He knew he was going to do the miracle. But the point is this. Jesus, Jesus didn't do anything about the problem until the disciples got concerned about it. Jesus, like, he, when they accept the responsibility, Jesus started acting. So here's, here's why that's important. Because you have a challenge in your marriage, but you're not concerned about it. Because you're not concerned about it, God already has in mind what he wants to do, how he wants to do a miracle in your marriage. But until you get concerned about it, you're not going to see the miracle. Ooh, are you hearing me? Come on, amen, pastor, let's go. So, so there's a, God already saw the financial situation that you were in and he already had in mind what he wanted to do but until you accept the responsibility and get concerned about your own finances he ain't going to step in and do the miracle you need in your finances god already saw the needs of our church that we need more room and more space to reach people and more space to reach kids kids ministry and like he already saw that and he already has in mind what to do but until his people start accepting responsibility and get concerned about it he's not going to do the miracle okay so now notice, here the disciples, they saw the need. And finally, they come to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, do something. They're here to hear you preach. Do something. And then I love Jesus' response. Look at verse 37. He said, no, you give them something to eat, which is an impossible thing. Jesus just told them to do an impossible thing. Why, why is he doing this? You know why he's doing it? He's trying to get them to accept responsibility of the situation like but it's practically impossible even if they had all the carne asada how are you going to make fifteen thousand tacos in that amount of time for all the people it's practically impossible it's financially impossible as well right they're like how does this it just does not compute at all so like what how are we going to do this how are we going to feed everybody and there's no way why does he ask them to do, do the impossible you know why because it requires faith the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. God is wanting to stretch and grow your faith. But here's the, when we come up against impossible situation and problems in our lives, we respond in, in not the right way. We respond the same way as the disciples do. And I'm this is short-circuiting the miraculous and the provision happening in your life because we respond to the test the wrong way. So let me show you, let me show you the three ways they, they respond and we all respond to problems. When we come up against problems or impossible situations, how do we respond to the problems in our life? Here's one way. We procrastinate. Where are my procrastinators? Where are you at? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Okay, some of you are procrastinating even in raising your hand. You're like, eh, I'll get involved in church next time, eh. <laughs> so, so but look at this. The Bible says it was already late in the day they had been putting it off. They had already not been dealing with it. They were waiting. The disciples had all day to deal with the potential problem, but they waited to the end of the day. And while they waited, Jesus waited. Jesus already saw the need. He already knew what he was going to need. He already had in mind what he was going to do. But until the disciples saw it and accepted some responsibility for it, Jesus did Nothing. So the question for you, for you today is this. 
what problem are you putting off? What, what difficult situation are you not dealing with? Because your procrastination is only delaying your provision. I, I hope you're thinking with me. Are you thinking in here with me? Come on, amen, pastor. Come on, give me something. We procrastinate. Here's the next thing. We, we pass the buck when it comes to problems, don't we? We just, we's like, ain't my problem. I didn't ask them to come to hear you preach Jesus. They weren't even invited. They just showed up. It's their problem. Why do I have to feed them? Why, do I, why is that, why is their hungry kids my problem, okay? Then you go home and feed their own kids. Why don't they get their own education? Why don't they get their own job? Why don't they, and it's this, it's this passing the buck attitude. One of the biggest cop-outs is this phrase, it's none of my business. Well, that's none of my business. Or if you are, a leader here at Discovery, or if you're on the dream team here at Discovery, here's another one that I, uh, it's, it's a biggest pass the buck. It's, it's not my job. Well, that's not my job. Well, that's not, it's not my business. Listen to me. If your brother is in trouble, it's your business. If your sister is in need, it's your business. If someone is going in a direction, they're about to fall off the cliff, it's your business. You know why? Because love cares. Love cares for people, it's your business. So when we come to problems or impossible situations, we procrastinate, we pass the buck, or we just end up worrying about it, stressing it. The disciples are in like anxiety overload. Like how in the world are we going to pay for all this? There's no way. How are we going to afford it? How are we going to transport the food and keep it hot? And who's going to clean up after all these people? How many of you thought of that one? Who's going to clean up 15,000? I ain't staying and cleaning up, man. I got episode eight of Netflix. I'm about, uh, I ain't staying for this. I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. You know what I mean? So, so what do we pass the buck. It's somebody else's problem, and we worry about it. They're worrying. What if? What if? Typical reactions, procrastination, passing the buck, and worrying. So what do you do when you realize, I need a miracle? Well, you got you to gotta identify the problem. You, I, I got a problem. I accept responsibility, and I, and I know procrastinating, passing the buck, and worrying about it is not going, it's not going to help. So what do you do? <laughs> you do what you can with what God has already given you. That's what you do. You do what you can do with what you already have. God wants to see what you're going to do with what you have before God steps in and does, gives what he has. God wants you to use what he's already given you before he gives you what he has. Are you hearing me, you guys? So God, this is a process of the miraculous. If you want God to see, if you want to see God do the miraculous in your life, you got to start doing what you can with what God already gave you and quit asking for more of what God has before you start using it. So God waits to see what you're going to do. Mark chapter 6, 38. <laughs> Jesus, he hears them complaining and passing the buck and all that. And he goes, look, how many loaves, what do you have? Well, how many got? What do you have? What have I already provided for you? Why don't you go and see? And when they found out, they said five and two fish. In John's gospel, we find out that it's a little boy's lunch, right? It's this little boy. The hero of the story is this little boy who is the only one, I guess, who had the wherewithal and the planning to bring lunch out to go hear Jesus. Five loaves and, and, and two fish. And this kid is honestly the hero of the story. And they're from what I can see, there's three things that we can say about this little boy. And it's very important because you need to understand this in order to see a miracle and have a miracle in your life that this little boy, he gave. Because you got to give what little you have. And you think, because we don't want to, but you got to give like he did. And I want you to see the three things. This boy gave what he 
had. He didn't give what he didn't have. He gave what he had. And he had barley loaves, which was a cheap bread back then. It was a, a very cheap, inexpensive bread. And, and two small fish, maybe some sardines or something. But he gave what he had. Never underestimate what God can do through ordinary people with limited resources when it's given to him in faith. God is looking not for ability, he's looking for availability. So this little boy gave what he had. And not only that, he gave all he had. All of it. He gave all, all five lo loaves, both fish. He didn't hold anything back. And if you want a miracle from God in your life, you cannot hold back anything from God. So let me ask you this question. What are you holding back from God? What are you hold, holding back? God, I give you everything except. So what's your except? What are you holding back? Accept this relationship. Accept my boyfriend. Accept this. Accept my finances. Accept this part. If you want to see God do the miraculous in and through your life, you cannot hold anything back from him. And notice that he didn't just give a tithe of his fish or his bread, did he? He didn't go, oh, you need something, Jesus? Here's 10% of my bread. Here's 10% of my fish. Do something with that. No. He gave all he had. He gave what he had. And thirdly, he gave immediately. He didn't wait. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wonder about it. He didn't doubt it. As soon as it was needed by Jesus, he gave it to him. But why do we not do this? When we need a miracle, why do we hesitate in giving the little we have when we have not enough and we feel like, I can't give that away. It's little. It's not enough. Why do we hesitate to do that? And then by doing that, it short circuits the miracle, right? Because it's Jesus plus you're not enough. If you withhold not enough, you don't see more than enough. Did you catch that? If you withhold you're not enough, you don't get to see more than enough. So why do we do that? Why do we withhold the little that we have? Let me give you a few reasons, not in your notes. You may want to write this down. I think we're afraid that we'll go hungry. Because if I gave my little that I have to feed me, who's going to feed? I don't trust that Jesus is faithful when I give sacrificially, when I give him my time. How am I going to finish my schooling? How am I going to be affected my career? How am I going to have enough for me, for my kids? How am I going to? So we're, we don't trust God to provide for our needs. Not only that, I think we have this thought here. I think we think, what's the use? Well, what's the use? It's just a little bit. What I have is just a drop in the bucket. What's the use of me giving the little that I have if it's not going to even go that far? There's 15,000 people here. Why would I give my, my five loaves and two fish? I got a better idea. Why don't I eat that myself so at least one of us is not hungry? Doesn't that sound like a better? So we're reasoning like, no, what's, what's a little, I just got a little, little bit. God doesn't need that. It's just a drop in the bucket. It's not a, it's not a big deal how's that gonna help it's actually what andrew said in john chapter 6 verse 9 andrew simon peter's brother he spoke up and he said look it's just a little bit it's not enough because how far is that gonna go among so many people listen to me god will never ask you to give something that he has not already gave you he will never please believe that please understand that he'll never ask you to give anything that he hasn't already given you in fact second corinthians chapter 8 verse 12 says it like this the important thing is to be willing to give how much? As much as we can. As much as God. That is actually what God accepts when we give as much as we can. And no one is asked to give what he doesn't have. God's not asking you to give what you don't have. He's asking you to give the little you do have. What you think is not enough. 
So when we've recognized the problem, we've accepted responsibility for the problem, and we're concerned about it. We don't procrastinate or ignore it or pass the buck or worry. Instead, we do what we can with what we have. We do our best. We give it all we got. You know what you can expect? Write this down. You can expect a miracle. That's what you can expect when you follow the formula of faith. God specializes in doing things that are humanly impossible with limited resources, with things that are not enough. In fact, impossible is not even in his vocabulary. The next time you utter the word impossible, I want you to listen to the laughter of heaven. Try to listen for it because God is snickering at you. Because that word does not, there is nothing impossible with God. Nothing impossible with God. I love this verse, Matthew chapter 9, 29. It says, according to whose faith? According to your faith. Let it be done to you. Jesus said this. I love this verse. You know why I love this verse? Because it, it reminds me that it's up to me how much of God I want in my life. How much blessing I want uh, in my life. How much of the miraculous I want. Because if I have a little faith, I'll only see a little, a little result. But if I have great faith, I'll see greater things. You get to choose. You get to decide how much of God you want to see in your life. So here's the central lesson in the loaves. I think the central lesson in the loaves is this. What we want God to do for us, he's actually waiting to do through us. So, so you're, waiting for, you're waiting for God. God is waiting for you so he can use you to do it through you. But you got to identify that problem. You gotta accept the responsibility. You gotta do what you can, and then you can expect God to do what only He can do. Okay, let me close out this miracle because it actually is pointing. Remember, the signs are pointing to something. And Jesus comes back around and circles back around with the crowd, and He actually tells them what the whole purpose, what His sign of the feeding of loaves and fishes, what the sign was pointing to. John chapter six, after the miracle, He says this: the people, the crowd, they come back to Him and they say, "What sign?" Will you give, Jesus, that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Because our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and that's an important connection. They're connecting the dots here. And they're, what they're doing is they've connected some dots, and they're seeing what Jesus is going to say about the dots they connected. Because, because in the wilderness, when God delivered the Israelites, the Jewish people from uh, slavery and bondage from Egypt before they got into the promised land there was a wandering in the wilderness and God cr he created, manifested manna from heaven and he fed the Israelites and these guys are connecting the dots going wait a second this is like what God did you created bread for us like God did in the wilderness so they're connecting the dots and seeing what Jesus is going to say about it they're like are you the one, are you the Messiah? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus tells them, you're missing it. That's not the point. That wasn't the purpose of the sign. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Like I didn't come, Jesus said, I didn't come to meet your needs. I have compassion on your needs, but that's not the purpose of which I came, so that you would be filled up and your temporal earthly needs would be met. But, but I came to set you free, to deliver you from the bondage of slavery of this world and to make a way for you to enter the promised land of eternal life in heaven. But in the wanderness, wilderness period of this life, of this world, of, this, of the trials and the problems, you... 
You think you need more bread, more stuff. You think that's your problem. That's not what you need. You don't need more bread. You need me. Jesus said, this is, this, I am your sustenance. I am your life. And while you are wandering, this is, you don't need that. You don't need what you think you need. Getting filled up on things. That, no, no, no. What you need is the bread of life. Wherever comes to me will never grow hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the test. The problem that you think is a problem is not the problem. It's, it's carrying your provision. And for some of you, it's carrying, not only is it carrying your provision, like there's a miracle in it, but for some of you, the problem was there on purpose as a test to get you to a place where God removed your resources. For you to finally realize like once and for all, in Jesus' name, for you to finally realize it's not enough. You're not enough. This world isn't enough. It isn't enough. The resources aren't enough. The people aren't enough. To get, look, God removed those resources and magnified the need to get you to this place that you would realize it's not enough. I got news for you. Stop using the equation of earth and apply the formula of faith. You just need you need to carry the one. You need the one. That's what you need. What you need is Jesus. The bread of life. That's what you need.